another Chin Music with me in Fort Myers. Lavelle will be down here next month. Of course, Roy will be covering the team as Twins analyst during the regular season. I got to say, gentlemen, uh, it's been a good camp, and it was uh, a blast. We're talking here on Monday morning. It was a blast on Sunday afternoon to see Duran against Correa. Duran throwing 102 on February 19th or whatever it was. Uh, good Lord. And then you start talking to people about the bullpen. Duran's already at 102. Alcala's already at high 90s. Uh, Garth Jack says he wants to throw 100 this year and guarantees he will. Uh, you got Thielbar and Moran as lefties. You have Lopez coming off an all-star season. And they actually, I think Pagan is going to be on the rota- in the bullpen. I know he had a terrible year last year, but they think his stuff just with a few adjustments going to play that would leave one spot in the rotation for like a utility pitcher or spot starter. Uh, this bullpen could be a real strength. Let's start with Roy today. Yeah, I, I really think it is. And uh, it's uh, kind of been my thoughts here the last few weeks we've been talking as we talked about the twins revamping, you know, who the, what the personality is on the club. And it, it started with the emergence of Duran and the uh, acquisition of Lopez and Griffin uh, Jacks, you know, coming, uh, uh, you know, just emerging and uh, Alkali in the wings. And, and then all of a sudden you say, man, and, and then the left-handers that they, that they have, I really like uh, Moran's stuff. I think he's going to get better and better. So all of a sudden, they're looking at, we just got to get, get enough starting rotation to get to that bullpen. And darn if they didn't, haven't gone out and, and uh, kind of done that. And, and so I think, I, I think the, you know, they've gone from the Bomba squad to uh, a pitching staff that looks like it's going to get people out front to back. Yeah, I agree, Roy. Um... You know, I and once again last year the trade deadline was when the Twins not only had tried to address the second half of last season, but they're also looking ahead to, to this year too, get some guys that can have control for another year or two. And so, in addition to bringing in Tyler Molly, they also brought in Jorge Lopez, who was a closer for uh, the Orioles, who uh, was very good with the Orioles, kind of shaky with the Twins, but you see the stuff he has, and he knows he's going to have a quality. Uh, he's going to be a quality guy. Um, I think Akala coming back if he's healthy and pitching well. You know, that's a big boost for this bullpen. That gives an, another live arm. Um, I I like the promise that Giovanni Moran has. Um, it'll be good. It'll be great if he could step up. I think he only, I think he had a 1-8 ERA in September of last year. I think he finished the season really strong. So he's got a jumping off point here. And, you know, Caleb Dilbar's 36. So they've got to cultivate another left-handed guy to come, come in and uh neutralize the left-handed hitters and Moran is in that position and Jim rattled off a lot of arms in that bullpen and he didn't mention Trevor McGill and Trevor McGill touched a hundred last year. You know, he's kind of a wild card in this whole thing because uh, of the arm talent he could potentially bring to a bullpen. So um, you like the arrangement of arms and you really feel good about the twins ability to close out games. If they're leading after six or seven innings, Um, because you got the Lopez, um, Duran a bit going in the la- in the late innings. Um, they were comfortable allowing Duran to pitch two inning outings last year. I don't know what their plan is going to be. To me, I think he moved it to like a ninth inning role as the season went along. I like to see him kind of stick there. Um, but you know, the Yankees had a great setup when they had Mariano Rivera pitch two innings before John Wetland, and then eventually R- Rivera took over and became like the world's greatest closer. 
Um, the, the Twins kind of work on their their mini version of that with a guy like Duran who can go a couple innings uh, in, in Lopez who could close it out. Or you have Lopez fill, uh, setting up for Duran. Or you have a situation where you want to give a guy a break after pitching back-to-back games. You can let the other guy close out the game. So I, I, I think you almost have, have to have two closers uh, in today's bullpen, the way things are being, the way bullpens are being used, and the Twins have that uh, set up here with uh, Lopez and Duran, and they also have other live arms behind them. So I didn't even mention a four-letter word that is Pagan. Uh, if they can get him figured out, and if it, they put him on the Roy Smalley program and have him throw that split, um, this could really be a good bullpen. Yeah, they're pretty optimistic about getting Pagan back to a point where he can at least be a middle inning, effective middle inning reliever. Let's get, hey, we have a lot more to talk about. We're also going to talk about some of the first glimpse of the rules changes that I saw down here. I'm Jim Suhan from the Start of You, and you're listening to Roy Smalley, former Twins great, current Twins broadcaster, Lavelle Emil III, former Twins beat writer, now Star Tribune columnist. Brandon Morton is our producer. Again, this is Chin Music, part of talknorth.com. You can go to the website, find this show and all all the other shows and the archives of the shows. Follow us on Twitter at TalkMorePod to see the shows as they are released. If Twitter's working for you these days, uh, best way to listen, easiest way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's easy. It's free. Uh, we are brought to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. We'll tell you about more Aquarius, more about Aquarius later. Also appreciate many of our sponsors across the Talk North platform, including TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR-TIME. So let's start here. Uh, they have a lot of good arms out there. Duran is above and beyond everything in terms of stuff. He has a great attitude. He learned how to, he's really immersed himself in uh, English language. He's now speaking English without uh, a translator. Uh, great attitude, great arm. Just how good can this guy be? What's the upside? Let's start with Lavelle. Well, I mean, the things he did last year as a rookie were, you know, some of the best uh, first year numbers ever. And uh, he definitely has a chance of becoming uh, the most feared closer in baseball. Uh, coming in, throwing 102, has that nasty breaking ball called the, the splinker and, uh, and throws a third pitch as well. Uh, I still wonder, Jim, uh, what would have been if, he, if they were able to keep him as a starter because he had, he had a frontline starter type stuff, man. And it would have been interesting to see him um, try to go two or three times through a, through a batting order. But – you know, and injuries um, at AAA a couple of years ago kind of limited him. They were they said he was fortunate to avoid surgery, and he came to camp, you know, last year, and the decision was made to put him in the bullpen, and he became an immediate asset there. Um, he's got the demeanor. I, I just I, I just like everything about him. I mean, if you if he's walking down the street in civilian clothes and you walk past him, you're gonna be like he looks like a major league pitcher, and because he just got that frame and that built. And uh, he definitely has a demeanor and it looks like he's not phased by big situations. And he, I guess it helps when you can throw 102 miles an hour that you're going to throw strikes with it. So um, I, I'm, I, I'm a big fan and it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, you just think all the years on, on the beat, me and Jim, um, there were times where we didn't have a, a twins pitcher throwing 95, you know, mm-hmm. and here's a guy hitting 102 on the gun. It's pretty remarkable. My have times have changed. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, is it, is it my turn? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I I think that his upside, his ceiling, if there uh, is one, I mean, is going to all be dependent on 
the consistency of uh, his location with slider and splinker. And it's, it's extremely high. He's going to be one of the best closers in the game now if nothing changes. It gets to the point where, and it's, I don't care how good a stuff you're, you have. It's all about location. It's all about strikes first and then, and then the, the quality of the strikes uh, next. And he's throwing strikes with three pitches. And that's why it's so, you know, at 102 on a fastball and 90, you know, five at that, with that splinker and, and that nasty slider, you know, breaking ball he's got. I mean, it, it's all fine. He's going to be a, a terrific closer. If he gets to a point where when he decides to throw the slider, if it's, if it's always, you know, outer third of the plate to off the plate, and, or, you know, great majority of the time, and the splinker is always starts no higher than thigh high and goes lower from there, then he will be practically unhittable. So that would be the the upper limit for for him, unhittable. Uh, it really is about location. That's the only thing that bothers me about about his uh, stuff combination is that splinker. I can see why he and everybody else think it's so devastating a pitch. But I watched him last year. Uh, and big league hitters are amazing because 102 is hard to hit. But after you see 102, 95 looks easy, is easier to hit. And that 95 mile an hour, 96, whatever it is, splinker, if it stays in the middle of the zone, that gives hitters an out. And an out, I don't mean an out as opposed to a hit. I mean, it, it gives them a, a, a way out of the at bat, a, a chance. And so that really, to me, is he's going to be a three-pitch pitcher. And, uh, again, the splinker for him is, is almost like, okay, too much. It's too much of a luxury. That fastball and breaking ball is just like that, that could be all you need. Now, that splinker, I mean, if you can throw that where it needs to be thrown, then he's unhittable. If he, but he will get hurt on that pitch periodically because he throws it so hard and it's, it, you know, it's a tough – tougher pitch to throw exactly where you want it all the time. And I don't, and I don't care if it does, you know, drop, you know, kind of like a split finger sinker ish kind of pitch after seeing 102, if you see 95 in the middle of the zone, it's going to get whacked. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Let's uh, let's shift to some rules stuff just because on Sunday afternoon I saw the pitch clock in action with live pitching, live batting practice for the first time. And the first thing I noticed was pitchers who work with any kind of rhythm, it doesn't affect them. They end up starting their windup with seven or five or four seconds left on the clock. It's not a big deal. It is going to cut out dawdling. It's going to cut out refixing your glove and taking off your glove and running your hand through your hair and, and writing a postcard to somebody and putting in a DoorDash order. It's going to be, you're not going to be able to jerk around and hitters aren't going to have any incentive to step out or readjust anything. It's, it's going to feel like a sport. You're actually going to have to catch the ball and throw the ball and be ready to hit. I'm all in favor of that. Uh, Let's start with Roy this time. Yeah, I like it. I, I really do. I mean, as a as a former hitter that used to step out of the box and get my my mind, you know, kind of squared away, you know, on 
different, you know, different counts and different pitches. Um, that would, in my thought, would be that, you know, that's going to hurt me. Uh, and but the, the guys are just, I, I, if it, if it happened back then, and now these guys are just going to have to get their, you figure it out because it's it's such a better pace for the game. Uh, there, there's baseball has a a natural rhythm that I that I love, and not it's not frenetic. You know, it's it, it's it's much more pastoral, <laughs> and I don't I don't ever lose that. I don't want there to be a fast break clock kind of uh, you know kind kind of thing, but. Baseball today cannot afford any extraneous, stupid extraneous moments, and I, I really believe that this is going to make um, make a big difference in the watchability of the game. Roy, just describe my career: stupid extraneous moments. What do you think, Lavelle? <laughs> you know, I always believe that baseball, if it was a movie, it should be rated R for rhythm, and um, and that means uh, the pace at which is is played. And I am looking forward to see to seeing how this is going to turn out. Um, uh, in terms of regulating how long a pitcher could take in, uh, take it between pitches, I, I've I've said this on the show before. There's one major league team out there who did a study and determined that you know every second you can waste in between pitches gives you that just a little bit more recovery time to help execute that next pitch. So they were encouraging their starters to take as much time as possible in between pitches. So that's where we're headed with this game. And uh, this pitch clock will eliminate that. And I was at a Saints game last year. At the same time, time, there was a Twins game. And the Twins game started, and the Saints had a rain cloud over their stadium. So they ended up starting a half an hour later. And the two games ended up being done within like 30 seconds of each other. Because I was watching the last out of the Saints game. Clicked over to the Twins, saw their final out like 30 seconds later. And it was because of the pitch clock. And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely makes a difference. I... I I don't know if it's going to cut a half an hour off a of game. So I'm, I'm hoping for 15, you know, for now and see how some of the other uh, rule changes help. But um, the, the, this could be a game changer in terms of uh, getting out of a stadium because Jim, I mean, all of us, we've sat in that, we've sat in target field and the twin, it could be a tight game. It could be a great game uh, at 10 o'clock. Families are getting up and leaving the ballpark because they're like, that's, yep. it, that's it. I got to drive to Caledonia. I got to drive to uh, Albert Lee. I got to drive. Uh, to Wasika, uh, I gotta get the kids home, and regardless, or or they will wait to see uh, Joe Mars last to bat, then they will leave. <laughs> but uh, so um, this this gives gives it a chance of you know getting a game done before ten o'clock, which I think is massive. And I still can't believe you know Patrick Royce claims that there was a time that game started at eight uh, back in the sixties, and that the the promotion was. Go home, spend time with your family, have dinner, and then come out to the ballpark and watch a game. And I, I, that that just I'm stunned that that people watch baseball uh, back in the day. So when I was playing Lavelle um, and uh, playing against the Yankees in the stadium, and when I got traded there, that game started at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Wow! It, it, it took them a while to get to uh, to get to seven, uh, but I I agree with you. It should start. It should start set at seven, and it should give people an outside chance of having a reason to get kids home, um, you know, to bed at a reasonable uh, time. The other thing that, uh, as you were talking, that occurred to me that I, I think it, it may—we'll see if this turns out—but it may be the case 
that it's going to be better for fans, not just because it's it's uh, quicker uh, and not as boring in between pitches, but the fact that it's quicker could lead to a little bit more uh, intensity of uh, uh, anticipation for for a for an at bat, you know, for almost every at bat, but especially especially bigger at bats. You know, it's just going to be. I think it's going to add. Uh, add intensity there because it's uh, because the the big at bat and the pitcher's not walking around the mound and the batter's not stepping out and I, 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 there's the only thing the only negative thing about it is you know, guys are going to have to get their head on straight you know in a in a hurry and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's uh, get to a disagreement. We end up agreeing on a lot of stuff. I think we're going to have a disagreement coming up here. First, I want to let you know that Chin Music is coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Here's more about Aquarius Home Services. The holidays are over and we're all dreaming about spring. But at Aquarius Home Services, we know old man winter isn't done with us yet. Remember last year? We had snow in April. That's why at Aquarius, we're offering $98 off any furnace repair. With your safety and comfort as our top priority, we'll treat your home in time with respect. We'll provide options that make sense with upfront, no surprise pricing. We're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Aquarius, earning the right to be recommended. And thanks again to one of our big sponsors across the network, TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR-TIME. Also check out propane.com, propane for clean energy. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors, all of our listeners here at talknorth.com and our longtime producer, Brandon Morton. So, Lavelle, I saw your piece the other day about the ghost runner. Uh, here's what I'll say. Uh, you and I will disagree and we'll let Roy break the tie. Uh, I hate the artificiality of the ghost runner. I appreciate the effect of the ghost runner. Uh, the two biggest problems in baseball today are overlong games and burned out bullpens. This helps alleviate both. This gives you a chance, a better chance of ending the game in the 10th. It also can save arms. Rocco had a really good point the other day. He was saying that as a player, he loved the galvanizing effect of winning like a 15-inning game. He said it was great for your, your the mood in your clubhouse to kind of pull together and have everybody pitch into a game like that. And he said then the next day you realized there was hell to pay. You had nobody left who could pitch. Everybody was exhausted. Uh, and all you got for it was one victory. So that's that's my view. You wrote about it. What do you think of the uh, Ghost Runner? Uh, I don't like it. I, I like to see the big boys kind of settle things without uh, adding the uh, – I don't – I got to find a better, another word and a gimmick to call it, but adding the ghost runner and extra innings. And cause I just think we, we, we have, uh, we have, uh, the way we like, kind of guided this game and the way the game's been managed and, and how pitchers have been developed over the last you know, couple of decades has led us to this point where, um, you have a 13, 14, 15 inning game. You can't, you can't handle it the next day because you've got relievers who enter the game as soon as a six inning. And if as soon as you get an extra innings, uh, your bullpen shot, you know, and as I pointed out, uh, you can have a guy come in in the 10th inning and pitch, you know, three scoreless innings, saves the day, keeps their team in contention, and his reward is a trip to St. Paul because they need a pressure arm, and that does stink. Um, I did point out that I was willing to compromise and say play the 10th and the 11th as regular extra innings, and then if there's no if there's no victor, then start with the ghost runner um, in, the, in the 12th. Because, Jim, even with the ghost runner, I, I'm still stunned about how the game is played, even with the ghost runner. Because my first thing is I'm getting the guy to third so he can score in anything. But that's we don't see a bats like that. The guy is like, I'm just going to get a single, end it all. I'm going to drive the ball as hard as I can. 
put the guy in third, you know, either with a hit or 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 a productive out. And and then you know get the wheels turning on the defense now because they guy can score the guy in third can score in anything. Uh, but we don't see that. But uh I could see it maybe implementing it in the twelfth. I I just like to see a couple innings because it needs to there, there needs to be consequences for managers' actions to manage themselves in the hole with their backs up against the wall. Uh, when they throw eight relievers in a game to try to win in nine innings, so I don't know. I just, I, I, I guess I, I feel like I'm, I'm 75 years old and I'm screaming at kids to get off my line with some of this, but uh, I just like to see the game played a different way. Yeah, right? I, I, yeah, I understand uh, your points, Jim, and and uh, about length of games, and I understand you know about uh, the uh, how tough it is to recover. Uh, as a team, after you play 15 innings and, and all that stuff, but I have to say, my hatred of the of that uh, runner on second base artificially uh, supersedes all the all the other stuff, and and is for these reasons: one, it takes the advantage away from the better team, and I don't think that's right. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that 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 can be done, but that but artificially uh, saying you know giving a lesser team. Uh, an equal chance in the tenth inning and eleventh inning is um, I, I just I just don't like it. And um, secondly, uh, I, I don't think that there are enough fifteen inning games. I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's tough for two days, but I don't think there's enough of them. Enough of those. And, and the, you know, the consequences are: yeah, fans are going to hate it. They're going to go home, and this is terrible. You got to sit through all this stuff. The bullpen's wiped out. You know, and Lavelle makes a good point about how you manage for that, um, enforcing guys to manage you know, for that. But it, but it just doesn't happen enough to be that art to, to be the the fix to be that artificial uh, to me. I just you know I I just I don't like it. And I will say this too: it's um, you know the Twins have a great situation because St. Paul is just on the other side of the of the uh, metropolitan area. But baseball did rehaul or uh, overhaul. I'm sorry overhaul their minor league um, structure a couple of years ago. So everybody's AAA affiliate is like in proximity to a major league club now. So it's not that hard. They get a fresh, a fresh arm up to replenish if you need them to. So um, it, it's, it still sucks for the poor guy who he'll pitch his ass off to keep the team in contention and then has to make way for a fresher guy because he didn't necessarily pitch his way into the minors. But um, it is easier for teams to recover from, uh, from uh, the times they go 14 or 15 innings. Yeah, you know, and it's just not right. You get a in the tenth inning. You got you've got a, still a pretty frontline pitcher out there potentially for a, a club, a guy that it has a better chance of not giving up a double the first guy he sees than than he does of giving up that double. So you got you got a a top uh, flight pitcher out there that starts with a guy on second base that was not of his doing. Um, I mean, just. Every time I think about something, it, it leads me to not like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're, we have lots of topics to get to this spring, and there will be some really interesting developments. Right now, this is my last full day in Fort Myers, and Lavelle will be down sometime next month. So let's do it this way. Since I'm down here, I'm talking to people, seeing things, why don't you each ask me a question about camp? Oh, let's yeah. Start with, got- let's start with Lavelle. Uh, Jim, what was the reaction down there to Jordan Valenzuela getting into the altercation and breaking his jaw? That's this is probably the worst uh, spring training 
incident I know of since Liriano got busted for DUI uh, back in the day. So um, what was the mood like and reaction to all that? Good question. Glad you brought it up. And by the way, it probably is the biggest off-field incident since Liriano's DUI. And you know what it reminded me of uh, when I was a beat writer, Marty Cordova as a young player used to, you know, this is, Marty became very antisocial later in his career, but early on, he and I had a really good relationship. We talked all the time. I usually had some insight as to where his career was and whether he was going to get a big league job and all that stuff. Well, the the spring, early in the spring of the year that he became rookie of the year, uh, we were talking. I knew he was working out really hard. Uh, you know, he was, and it looked like he was going to be the starting left fielder. And I kept telling him that. And one night, I go out to watch basketball, and I go to Shoeless Joe's. Uh, and I walk in, and guess who the bouncer at Shoeless Joe's was? Marty? Marty Cordova. My God. And I, and I go, Marty, <laughs> you can't break your hand on some idiot skull being the bouncer at Shoeless Joe's. You're about to make millions of dollars and have a great career. Quit the job. Go ahead. And he actually took my advice. But so Balazovich, interesting thing is it, uh the way it was described to us that he got in a verbal altercation with somebody at a night spot and the guy just drilled him, broke his jaw. I think what's saddest and what the baddest, the worst sign of this is that it doesn't change the twins plans in the least. Here's a guy who not that long ago was considered maybe their top starting pitching prospect. And now he's far enough down the pecking order that this just doesn't change anything. They were hoping to get him going in the right direction this spring and this season. Uh, but man, it, he has a long way to go in as a pitcher and as a member of the organization to resurrect his stock with the, these people. He, you know, he's, I mean, if you're going to list their 12 best pitchers in 12 best starting pitchers in the organization right now, he might or might not make that list. So I agree. Uh, he's not in great shape. Roy, do you have any thoughts on on his situation or any stories to tell about people who have kind of damaged their 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 careers? I, I'll tell one other story, and this is kind of a this one's on me. Is that uh, uh, one out in Cleveland one year might have been like ninety five, and Dave Stevens was uh, had <laughs> just given Dave Stevens had just given up a game winning home run. Went out on a Saturday night in Cleveland to the flats with a friend of mine. We see Dave Stevens at the bar. He sends us a shot. We send him a shot. Uh, hijinks ensue. And I went over and said, Dave, you know, you got a game tomorrow. I mean, I'm, a, I'm just an idiot writer. You know, I can probably work with a hangover. You got to be careful. He said, no way TK sending me out there again tomorrow. TK uh, sent him out there again tomorrow. He, he didn't know another, him very well. <laughs> he gave up another walk-off home run. He comes in the dugout. He punches a phone. The phone was an immovable object, breaks his hand, and Never really had the same career. So uh, bad on me for sending him a drink. Uh, Roy, your thoughts on any of this nonsense? Yeah, we're I mean, about. It, maybe the one positive that will come out of that will just remind his knuckleheads that nothing good happens um, if you're a professional athlete and you're and you're in a and you start talking to people in a bar. And I don't I don't mean uh, you know talking to friendly fans and you know being you know cordial and all that. I mean. You know, there, there's no such thing. If you're if you're a professional athlete and you're in a bar, people have been drinking, whether you have been, you know, uh, had a lot to drink or not. There's stuff waiting to happen. And you just can't you just cannot do anything that is going to pro, uh, provoke a, uh, something like like this to happen. You, you just never know. You never know who's out there. Uh, and uh, I just maybe the one good thing that will come out out of this is that. Everybody goes, whoa, 
uh, I think we're going to be real careful from, you know, from we're going to be smart about about keeping our mouth shut and just and and <clears throat> I mean, there's a time to be macho. And that's when you're on the mound uh, or you're in the batter's box or, you know, whatever it, you have. No, there is no future in uh, getting in oral arguments with uh, with drunks in a, you know, or, you know, sociopaths in a, in a bar. I mean, they're just, there's no future. It's just stop. Don't do that. Be quiet. Walk away. Go home. Get a good night's sleep if something's going on. I, I'm guessing years, you know, he's Jordan's probably come down to Fort Myers for spring training. How many years now? Five, a six. Bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what makes me concerned because this, this could be like the result. Of, I don't know if it could just be one disagreement or something that's been building. Uh, and that tells me he shouldn't be out in the first place. But being a beat writer and going to spring training, man, I used to go downtown Fort Myers. I'd run into Twins players all the time. Oh, yeah, me too. All, all, all the time in groups. But they all would stay, like, to themselves and kind of just hang out with each other. And, and I didn't see too many um, exchanges between the locals. So, um See, here's the thing that's the thing that's hard, as you guys know. I mean, the thing that's hard for athletes who are physically fit and they're strong and they have, you know, alpha kind of personalities, or they, you know, anyway, or they wouldn't be there. And it's very difficult, especially after some, you know, alcohol, to walk away from a challenge. And and there's going to be guys that uh, that see uh, that see professional athletes and and they want to they they want to uh challenge them on on stuff especially after they've been drinking so i mean it, it, it's it's okay to go to you know you know to bars and you know with your teammates or even by yourself but i mean you gotta you gotta recognize that you just can't be you can't take on the challenge in that i mean you just have to walk away from it and it's hard for athletes to do Tory Hunter, or you know, has you know, he's lived experience. He's been an experienced guy with this, and uh, you know, he has a speech for young players. Oh, sounds like we might have lost Lavelle, um, and we're at the end of the show anyway. I'm just going to wrap things up and get a final thought from myself and Roy. Roy, I'll just tell you that uh, uh, this is a very optimistic group, and you know, we, you and I talked. We all, the three of us talked at the end of last season, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't know if they can afford Correa. He's probably going to be overpriced." And by the time we got to the end of the conversation about his importance to the organization, all three of us were saying, "Yep, they need Correa back." Well, I tell you what, walking around this clubhouse, watching the way he interacts with people, the way he leads, the way he acts as the face of the franchise, uh, the way he just he he just handles everything beautifully. Uh, his presence makes you optimistic about this team. That's my final thought. What's your thought? Well, I'll piggyback on that, uh, Jim, because I, I couldn't agree more. I was, as you know, a huge proponent of, of doing whatever it took, you know, to, uh, to, sign, uh, to sign him. And, and the, I'll just punctuate it by saying I, I went up to, uh, uh, to Carlos at, at, at the end of the season. And uh, I, I just, it said he and I had developed it. A, a, a pretty nice relationship talking about the game, talking about him, talking about, you know, the you know, strategy for the team and things and how he, how he interacts. And, and, and so uh, I just went up to him and said, I just got to tell you as a, uh, I don't know. I, I hope you're here wherever you are. I wish you uh, all the best because you deserve it. And I want to tell you that as a, as a former shortstop, it was an absolute joy and honor to watch you play and uh, watch your presence on, on this club. It was an absolute joy. 
And, um, and, and so that's, that's the way I feel about that kid. I have a thought. Yes. Uh, maybe we can talk about this more next week, but I saw a picture of Joey Gallo standing next to Max Kepler during batting practice. Yes. And it was hard to tell them apart body shape wise from behind. In addition to traveling the world, Max Kepler must have spent the offseason traveling to every gym in the world uh, because he looks like he is about as strong and thick as he ever has. Um, I'm hoping we can kind of dig into that a little more next week to see, uh, to kind of discuss uh, what type of bounce back year Kepler could have. Yes, we can talk about that. I will say this, uh, having been around them, Gallo uh, is huge. He is a massive man. Uh, Seems like a really good guy as well. Kepler uh, there might might have been something funny about the angle. Kepler is in great shape. He is big and strong. He doesn't look that different than he's looked in the past. He's always been a big, strong guy. Maybe he's had a little bit to the sh- through the shoulders, but he doesn't look that different than what he used to look. I will say that he, uh, you know, he's not always somebody who's very forthcoming in interviews, which is you know, it's you can that's his call. Uh, he's been very open and honest, uh, and thoughtful this spring in conversations, talking about his life, talking about, uh, you know, how things got him down, how the toe injury is toughest thing he dealt with last year. And I, and you never know how things are going to play out. I will say that I think he seems to be in a pretty good headspace right now. I wouldn't be shocked if the combination of that, some urgency with his career, the lack of a shift, uh, that I, I I wouldn't he would be my candidate for a bounce back guy this year. Pick the click, pick the click. What do you think, Roy? Well, I I'm really hoping you're right. Uh, you guys know that I, I I've said for probably three years now on our show here that uh, and uh, and actually said this uh, said this last year as a preview. I really think the lineup revolves around Kepler because if he's if he's the 30 home run guy that he was you know a few years ago. Then he hits, you know, he hits fifth, he hits fourth, he hits, uh, there's another real uh, offensive threat to, to uh, go with that lineup that doesn't have a Nelson Cruz, you know, doesn't have a, a bona fide uh, third or fourth place hitter necessarily. But the more guys that become really uh, offensive uh, throughout the lineup, if you've got seven guys that point out and say, this guy could do something at any moment, then you don't you don't you don't miss that that big presence nearly as much. And I really felt I felt for a long time that Max is kind of the swing guy here. That that if he could be what what we always have thought Max was going to be on a consistent basis, it makes drastic changes in the, in the way you feel about the Twins' offense. I mean, really uh, high impact changes about the way you feel about it. So. Boy, I hope you're right. Thanks to Laval. Thanks to Roy. Thanks to Brandon. Thank you for listening. Uh, We enjoy doing these shows. We'll be back next week for more insights about Twins Spring Training.